I'm at the Red House with Jessica Singerman, and thank you for coming over and making your way out here through the rain into the woods. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah. So artist and educator, mm-hmm. um, do you want to give just a, a kind of little synopsis of what it is that you do with your with your time in the community? Sure. Yeah. So uh, in the community, I teach at UNC School of the Arts. I teach in the School of Film specifically um, for animation students and production designers. And then as an artist, uh, I'm a painter and I work also in installation. I draw a lot um, and do other other things. I consider myself a maker, I guess. I just I've always enjoyed making things with my hands. Yeah. You and I met only digitally. This is our first time meeting in person. Right. We met for the Aperture Project in yep. which I interviewed you about your about your art and stuff. Got a glimpse of your art for that. Got a glimpse of your workspace for that and some of the like the the width, I guess, of or I, I don't know if that's the right word, but the, the variety of different things that you're involved in within the visual arts. Uh which I'm fascinated by. And that's something I'm really excited to like kind of explore your thinking about today because the visual arts is not my like language. So I'm very curious to hear more about your language for that art form. Sure. Yeah. And I think you're a musician, right? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the language is, can be similar across music and, and visual arts. I think a lot of us are sometimes looking for similar, similar things mm-hmm. in the end. Anyway, I'd, I think so too. Yeah. Uh, I was, talking with someone yesterday about the the similarities within music and comedy. And I think that, yeah, all art, I think there's all creation, all of the creative process. I think there's a lot of overlap for the reasons that it all takes place or what, how the pursuit works. But it's interesting how the tools, you know, are different or the, the sort of the way that it's expressed is different. So I guess to get started, where did art in general start for you. I'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about your just origin or your, your, your uh, journey into the arts and then we'll kind of get into the nitty gritty. So how did your journey into the arts begin? Yeah. I mean, I don't ever remember not making things. I mean, as a, I think, well, I think most, a lot of kids make things, uh, you know, um, I just never stopped. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was always a drawer, I remember even in elementary, my earliest drawing memories are from elementary school. And I, I guess I felt kind of more serious in a way when I was like 15 or 16 and I started taking figure drawing classes. And that was a big deal to have models, like nude models, you know, um, for the first time at that age. It was a, 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 like a pivotal experience for me, I think, as an artist and, um, yeah, so I was 15 or 16, and now I'm 42. So I, I went to college for studio art, um, focused on painting specifically, and then grad school for, for painting, and then I ended up doing some kind of sculptural work tangentially. So I don't remember what the question was. Oh, it was, it, it was exactly that, <laughs> okay. like kind of your journey into okay. the arts. So. <laughs> So that, yeah, so that was my journey, and that, that right. was like 20 years ago now that I finished, was it 20? 18 years ago since I finished graduate school, because that was in 04, and then things were, were a little touch and go for a while. Um, I wasn't making my work very consistently. I found it, I think like a lot of people, they leave like a school kind of format where they're surrounded by peers, and in some cases even given assigned projects. 
Um, and then being out in the world as an artist, it's hard to keep making your work. And so that was a real struggle for me for a few years. Um, I was also in a line of work where I was traveling a lot, which was great. But in retrospect, I'm, I'm a homebody. Mm. And so that's not so great for me, I think. Um, and I did, it wasn't until I had a kid that like things really kind of crystallized for me and I was able to focus as an artist Mm. and that was 10 years ago. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And, and that was just also because of the lifestyle that came with that change that allowed you to have that space. Is that what you mean? Maybe that's a good point, you know, but I, so I was still working for, I was working in adventure travel, um, traveling less, uh, at that point, of course, but working from home, I think it was more that I felt like I was going to lose myself in motherhood and that mm-hmm. just did not feel like the path for me. I mean, like being a parent, yes, it's fine, but I didn't want that to define me completely. And I, the first couple of months of parenthood or, you know, it's intense, of course, you know, like that's a, an understatement, but I was, you know, exhausted and you don't, you don't feel like you can think about anything else at a certain point. And I just had this kind of two months in to being a parent. It's like a switch flipped in my head. And I, I decided to start making work again every day. It was like very, very stark from one day to the next. And I went into it. I decided to do a year long project just to kind of like reboot things for mm-hmm. myself and like get that momentum going. And from that day on, I just I started taking, I guess, myself more seriously as an artist, not like in a j- just taking my work seriously. And also I wanted my son to grow up seeing me work and be, I wanted him to be proud of me, like for my work. I just, I didn't want to just be a mom. And I feel bad saying there's no just about being a mom or parent, like it's full on. But for me, I wanted, I also wanted to be doing my artwork. I, I find that, that you, you using that phrase and saying that really candid and interesting. And uh, I kind of want to hear more about it, honestly. Like I want to hear about, I want to. I, I want us to talk about what this project was that sort of started this whole venture back into mm-hmm. it. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's just interesting the way you say that, and I can definitely speak to the I, something that's occurred to me recently is this perspective that I've had for forever. I think that's sort of like this notion that I'm building my life in this way that is sort of always kind of trying to support the freedom that it takes to make art, to be an artist or whatever. And the weird things that we do and negotiate to try to make sure. And like, you know, you met, you met Miss Marble today, like that uh, on this, the podcast that comes out tomorrow, I talked with a friend of mine about like how serious it was the consideration of like the impact that even a pet has on your life. Sure. So I would, and, and I would imagine the same goes for even bigger decisions. Like when you say, like how, I guess like, I I don't know, just, I don't know exactly know how to ask the question, but the identity aspect, I guess, of like, you wanted to be not just perceived by your son, you said son, right? Yep. As strictly a mother, but also admired for the work that you produce. I find that very interesting. Could you like elaborate on it? 
yeah, sure, I'll try. And I also want to be really careful to say that, like, you know, I think for some people, parenthood is is enough and is very fulfilling and it's just a different experience for some people. I don't want those people to think that I'm poo-pooing that at all. Right. And I, I totally respect that. Um, but for me, I, I didn't feel complete, you know, with, um, like I, I was realized, I realized that I needed to be making my work in a more serious fashion, like my artwork. Um, and that being a mom was just, was one facet of my life. And I love being a parent. I, lo- I love my son, but I just want to put that out there um, because th- that can be a sensitive subject, I think, for a lot of people mm-hmm. or people who've given up careers entirely and, and who are happy with that decision. So I just want to put that out there. I respect all, all decisions around, you know, having kids and, and careers. Um, so for me, I think I kind of lost my way in a way after graduate school. I think I was I was dealing with some mental health issues. There was some some depression, some anxiety, and I was working on the road a lot, quite a bit. I was I was on the road for like months at a time in my work um, in the travel industry, and it it is it's fun in a way, of course, being on the road and meeting new people all the time. But for me, it was also quite lonely not being like not being in my space and with my people like my husband <laughs> or my friends, you know, back home. And it wasn't conducive to me making work in any serious way. You know, I would carry like a um, a small kit with like watercolors and, and pencils and things in a small sketchbook. And I would I could draw and paint a little bit here and there, but very sporadically. And I think when I was in at home at the time, this was in Philly, uh, I was just there was it felt like there was a hole all the time and I was working you know and then when I was at home I was working from home for this travel company and I was also teaching yoga classes all over the city and my artwork was just happening in like fits and starts and things just never quite I I didn't quite feel right in my skin at that time um and I think it was also just that age you know I was in my mid-20s um, it was a tough period for me, I think emotionally, psychologically. I think I was just kind of trying to figure out who I was and like what my purpose was, and nothing was very clear. Um, and when I had my son, I was, let's see, I was 32 at that point, um, and it was a, it was rough. <laughs> it was pretty rough. You know, I, I didn't do well with like the sleep deprivation and all the things that, you know, breastfeeding, everything was very hard uh, as it is, I think for a lot of people. Um, but it just, it just was. And I, it wasn't how I had perceived parenthood. Um, and I, and it definitely wasn't, you know, fulfilling completely. And I don't, I don't, I had this epiphany in the, in the, it was in Michael's of all places. I was, we were visiting my parents and my mom and I were at Michael's and I saw this book, I think it's called like 365 days of creativity or something. And I just picked it up and it was one of those moments, you know, where you feel like the light is on you and, oh, and the <laughs> clouds are parting. And, uh, it's just, you know, it's a very, um, mundane kind of book with just, uh, ideas for projects every day. And it just seemed like just the right thing for me then. And I started doing these projects. They were I just little things, and I didn't overthink them. They were fun. 
And a couple days into doing these projects, maybe just maybe four or five days, it was less than a week. Uh, it it kick-started something. It gave me an idea for another project. And I, you know, didn't, I don't even think I opened the book again. <laughs> and I just kept going on this, on this uh, other project um, and had set this, decided to set this goal for a year of, of projects and started posting them to my blog, you know, mm-hmm. for accountability. Um, and then I kind of hung on to this year long project. Like I held on for dear life. And so I would, I set up rules for myself, you know, like I would have to finish something in a sitting cause I realized it was really important to f- finish projects for, for me, like for my, um, just to feel good about making things, you know, there's, it's a real, there's a satisfaction to seeing projects kind of like accumulate. Um, and so I would just sneak them into the day whenever I could, it was usually like nap time. Mm -hmm. And I started being like ruthless with my time, you know, like just being very strategic about what I was going to make and having a plan. And I learned a lot about how to be really effective with my time. I think being a, a parent made me very very efficient um Mm. and it's been it's been nice though as my son has gotten older to be able to have a little more time to sit and look at things that I'm working on and not to always feel like I have to go in and attack uh when I have studio time I have a little more time space now as he's getting older so yeah you know I try to I'm trying to put myself in those shoes and I, I noticed from my own relationship with art or whatever sometimes that uh like when I used to work full-time jobs or yeah particularly when I used to work full-time jobs and so there was already kind of a vice grip on my time a lot of the times there was it was kind of a little difficult to when I would when I'd find that window when I'd get off work at a certain time and get home and I had maybe four hours sometimes it was hard to decide to make art rather than feel entitled to relaxation how did you manage to choose to make art rather than to just indulge in relaxing and separation and all that yeah that I mean that is a struggle it's always a struggle um I think I was fortunate you know when in when my son was little little I didn't have a full-time job I was able to work hourly um we were also living in Australia at the time Mm. um and so things were different as far as like what I could and couldn't do, uh, work wise. Um, but I did, I was able to work from home for the majority. I mean, up until 2018, I was still, I was working from home primarily for that adventure travel company. And so I was able to make my own hours and I didn't have to work eight hours a day generally. Um, and so that was huge. You know, I think it's, it is so hard to work, you know, say like nine to five, and then come home and make dinner and ha- have dinner and then and then motivate to work. It yeah. is super, super hard. And one of the things that I did, there was one summer that was particularly tricky because of work. I just had more work obligations. And uh, my studio at that place happened to be in a garage and it was very, very hot. And so the only time I could work was super early in the morning and I would just get up at five and just I would work for three hours straight um, and then do parent and work stuff. And, and over time it's just changed, you know, it's like whenever I can get those windows and it's generally not three hours anymore. I mean, that's like luxurious when I think about it, but it mm-hmm. was also very difficult at the time. But I was, again, I, ruthless is like the word that comes to mind. I've been like very 
I don't, competitive is not the right word, but just really wanting to, to do it, you know, to make a go at it and not half-ass it, um, for me has, has been really important, you know, um, because I feel like I lost time after graduate school and I know I was just finding my way, but I, uh, I don't want to lose time. Yeah. I feel like I have a lot of work I need to make. And, but, uh, yeah, I've had to change over the years, you know, when those windows of time are and, um, yeah, it's just a, it's a momentum thing for me. It's like, I don't, okay, I don't have to work for two straight hours, but if I, I do need to show up at least an hour, you know, that kind of thing, you know, whatever it is, um, it's hard. It's, it's really hard to, to make that choice. And, Mm -hmm. and I don't always make that choice. Sometimes I do decide to watch Netflix. (laughs) Sure. I I just, you know, like, I mean, I am human and I am very tired sometimes. (laughs) It's, I've heard a lot of the most like really ambitious people talk about that very knowledge of, uh, a sense. It sounds like a sensitivity for uh, the loss of time and like how valuable time actually is. And that seems to be this thing that that not everybody can tap into that that caution and that focus of how valuable time is and, and the, the importance uh, that the importance of trying to do stuff with it while you have it. And I just I, I mean, I'm on it. Frankly, that's something that like I find myself n- knowing I like I tell myself this, these things constantly, but still when it comes to productivity it's a real struggle sometimes to uh to to still make that such a high priority that like it wins the day compared to like something more wasteful with my time well it doesn't always win I mean I have to be honest you know like it it doesn't always win but the thing is is I just I it's consistency you know like there are more days that I get in the studio than days that I don't Mm. and I think um it's not that I'm an advocate for everyone being a parent by any means, but my view on time changed radically when I became a parent. I just, it's, it honestly felt like time started speeding up (laughs) and and it's, um, yeah, it was just a perception that changed. And I, for me, I'm more productive when I have more to do Mm. and there's a point of diminishing returns. If I just have too many things to do, you know, it's, it's very difficult to do anything well, but I do have to have more going on. I mean, that's one of the reasons I enjoy teaching. I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but it helps structure my time mm-hmm. because I'm not as productive in the studio. If I have big swaths of time, I, I don't get very much done. Well, that might be good to think about uh, for, for, for those of us who might benefit from restrict, restricting our time a little bit more. So before I go totally wacky with questions, uh, animation, like how did, how did that work its way into well, life. so I don't actually teach animation. I teach animation students how to draw, you know, so ah, this is like a okay. foundation kind of class. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so like for a musician, you know, you, there's lots of different stories, but ultimately I think the pattern is probably you, as you, you know, at a, at a certain age, you equip yourself with like a toolkit where you know how to use these tools, uh, these instruments or whatever. And you, over time, learn how to cultivate music, compositions, songs, whatever. And I guess I know what it means to, like, explore ideas in terms of how they relate to music. But, um, yeah, I wonder if you can talk a bit about... I'm just curious what your... What it's like, I guess, to sort of know what you're exploring as a visual artist. You know what I mean? Like, 
how, how you know you're in a new territory, how you know you're playing with new ideas, and how, once you have those new ideas, how do you start exploring those ideas? That's a great question and very uh, apropos because my work has done, had this radical shift. I mean, for me, it's very radical. I can see it, but my husband looks at it and he's like, yeah, it's still your work, it's, <laughs> which is good. I mean, I don't want it to look completely different. But um, so, you know, for the last, let's say, 10-ish years, I've been working consistently with abstraction and with the landscape in varying degrees. Like some of the work is more abstract and some is less, but it's still in that abstraction space, we'll say, or spectrum. And then in the last year, I've started painting the human figure again, uh, Mm. which I had not seriously done since early grad school. So not since really 2002. And that was that was my focus before, and, and I I had a pretty kind of I guess traditional ish um, education as an artist, where we worked a lot from the figure drawing drawing based initially, and then painting, and then I left the figure in grad school when I didn't feel like I had anything to say with it, and I had been making very political work, and I thought, well, at, at twenty two, you know, like what do I have to say that's very important, and I pivoted to abstraction and then focused on making what I felt was more subtle work at the time. Mm. And then over the, I would say over the last 20 years ish, I've tried to integrate the figure back into my painting and it never felt right. And, and even more representational work, you know, working, working with still lives. Um, I've tried to like bring that into the work and it just always felt kind of, I would get bored. Honestly, I got bored and it didn't feel natural and then something changed this summer. I was uh, I was doing a lot of drawing, and then I started doing some master copies, just master uh, copying other masterworks um, by artists who I, I really respect. And I don't know what happened. Something just clicked as I was copying these works. They were all figurative paintings. Some of them were actually purely abstract, actually, when I think about it. Anyway, there's a range of work. Uh, but something pivoted in, in my head, and I decided to try making a, a figurative painting and it, it felt like very right and it felt like I was able to integrate a lot of the ideas that I'd been thinking about for a long time and just hadn't been able to, to figure out. And so I decided to make a, a series of six um, and to dig into that and to make six more paintings. And so you asked, you know, how do I know when I'm in a, in a new kind of work and how mm-hmm. do I explore that? And so for me, that's always been like making a series or making a group of works, kind of like a proof of concept to see, like, does this stand up, you know, uh, or is this interesting beyond one painting? Because I think Mm -hmm. anyone can make one decent painting, but I think when you can make consistently make, you know, more than one painting or create a whole body of work around the same theme, I think that's uh, more compelling. I mean, it's more compelling for me as an artist to be able to to kind of dig into a subject and to see what what I can do with it, um, and so I'm I'm curious to see where this work goes. I have si- I completed six of these paintings, um, and then and now I've just actually started two new ones this last last couple of weeks actually, um, and I'm still going to keep working in that in that in that vein you know, where I've got these human figures, but I'm also still really interested in abstraction. And, um, and what I can do. And I'm also, I feel like I'm always still teaching myself to paint, you know, mm-hmm. and, 
I'm learning a lot. It feels good. I feel like, you know, when you've been painting or, or making artwork for some time, like there's big plateaus or where you feel like you're not spinning your wheels, but you wonder like, am I growing? Is this getting better? And I feel like I, there was a bit of a leap from, for me this year. So at 42, that feels really good to feel like, I mean, I knew I was, I still had a lot to learn, but it's, it's gratifying to see, to actually be able to see some progress, what feels like progress to me. Yeah. <laughs> so there's so much about this conversation and the comparison of the, I think the common musicians experience that is, uh, it's fascinating to me. I mean, when you talk about being 22 and sort of having the wherewithal probably to say, like, to question at least what you have to tell people in the world about, that's something that 22 year old musicians don't have, you know? Really? Like, yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> you're using words. I like know. And they, like, there's some, like, there's this, this, this ego that is within, you know, like, there's an ego that's celebrated in, especially in popular music, that's just like oblivious to that idea, oblivious to the idea of self consciousness. And so there's this sort of uh, bombastic sort of, huge ego that's that seems to be expressed through music a lot of the time especially like i don't know you see it you see it in pop music but you also see it in like punk punk music or whatever that's just like screw everything screw it you know like uh there's there's no concern for this idea of like wisdom and and then maybe going to this other place and i was really interested by the juxtaposition that you've made there of like starting with this these paintings that had these messages um, that then you said you questioned your voice or whatever, and then went to this abstract thing. So, what I'm curious about is when you when you when we talk about abstract painting, what is your perception of how that's different than a, a painting that might have a message? Well, I don't want to say that abstraction can't be conceptual or it can't be political. I think, I mean, it can be argued that anything is political, but mm-hmm. I also am not super interested in that kind, you know, that kind of uh, discussion is not really super relevant to, to, to me and my work um, yeah. because I really just want to be making the work. <laughs> I feel bad saying that in a way, I, but, but not to, you know point fingers. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm but. with you on a, on a creative level. I'm totally with you. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a time and a place for everything. Uh, but let's see. Um, it was interesting it, that I don't want to interrupt your flow, but it was just, it was interesting that you seem to, even if it's not applicable to all people, I wonder what that change was for you to go from that place of sort of a message in the art to this other place and how those were different. Well, I think in a way, so and thanks for kind of uh, that, that's helpful because I was losing my, my train of thought. Um, there's a kind of clarity, you know, in your early 20s because things are less nuanced. Things are more black and white, mm-hmm. right? And that can be helpful. And sometimes it's okay to be brash. And sometimes we can make beautiful things as artists when we're when our ego is fueling. The, like not everyone, not everything has to be subtle and wise. Like there are beautiful things that are really in your face. Um, and at that time, let's see, I was a senior, when I was a senior in college, I was basically kind of exploring what I perceived as femininity or, and also feminism and what it was like to be a woman in the early 2000s. 
and there were a lot of mixed messages. <laughs> and so my paintings were kind of about that, about like what it, what it, what it felt like to be a woman and what I was perceiving to be the norm. And so, and these paintings were huge. They were six feet tall and they were these women in sometimes compromising positions. They were all naked, not even noon. They were very raw. Um, and they felt that was the right move for me at that time. You know, I learned a lot about, about painting, about the craft, but also I was, I felt like I was, uh, saying something important or, you know, I don't, I don't know. It felt important to me at the time. Um, and then I had a, a real loss of clarity in, in graduate school where I felt like I was kind of floundering and, uh, didn't really know what, you know, that message didn't feel like the right thing for me to explore anymore. And I knew that I didn't want to make these paintings that were graphic and also very in your face. Um, and so, yeah, so I shifted. I started working more in the landscape, and that was the progression to abstraction because the landscape is already very abstract. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a hop, skip, and a jump to go to total, you know, non-representation. If you're looking at, like, I look out your window and I see a big green kind of rectangle representing the grass, and then there's, like, this kind of middle gray of trees because there are no leaves. <laughs> So it's very abstract when you look at the landscape. You know, I mean, that's how I see the world. I see like a collection of shapes and color. That's so weird. <laughs> Isn't it weird? That's how I see. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing to me. It's so weird. So, I mean, yeah, that's, that is basically abstraction already. And so, yeah, so I was working in the landscape and then I realized I was seeing or the, it was evoking uh, ideas or kind of questions or things that I was interested in. I've always been really interested in science and I started bringing, integrating kind of biological and biological images and images from, from physics. And I found one of the cool things about being an artist is you get to research and integrate whatever you're interested in into your work. Yeah. <laughs> and that was, that was interesting for me at that time to be able to do that. And then and my work sca- changed in scale a lot. So I went from working like really, really big, like larger than life to really, really small and that's that ha, that has served me a lot over the years because working really tiny is practical when you have no time. <laughs> so and then over time I've I've figured out how to make very very large projects, you know, that are room or gallery sized with many many tiny things that mm-hmm. I can make over the course of of a long period of time, you know, by chipping that's away right. at it. <laughs> yeah, when we first uh, spoke, that was one of the projects that you had worked on, an origami uh, yeah. or origami-oriented project, right? Right, yeah, the Paper Mountain. So yeah. that's been a big big deal for me, that project, because I mean, it was my first proper installation project where I was able to fill this room and transform this room and make it, f- like, create this different environment for people and just to kind of describe the project or where it came from. Uh, you know, I'm, I mostly paint, but painting has its limits. I mean, you know, it's this two dimensional thing. And I think a lot about the, my experience in the outdoors. I'm an athlete as well. I used to race bikes. I, I still ride and I run. And I think about my experience out outdoors as an athlete, like moving through space a lot when I'm, when I'm working and wondering like, can I bring, can I, can, can I make people feel this when they're looking at my paintings? Like, can they, hear birds sing and hear leaves crunching and feel wind in their face when they're looking at my work. And 
you know, painting is limited. And so when I went into uh, installation, it's because I wanted to be able to create something three-dimensional that people could walk around and maybe under and, you know, and have a more, maybe a, hopefully a more visceral experience from, although people have all sorts of experiences from paintings. Um, but yeah, that they would be like con- confronted in a way with this huge thing that was evocative of, of a mountain in the case of Paper Mountain. And so, yeah, so I folded, I mean, the, the, the project morphed over the course of three years. It started as something very different and then, and that's kind of how big projects work for me. I start prototyping and then make tests and things don't work and I have to change them. And then, you know, the, the origami birds was like the fourth or fifth kind of trial mm. um, because, because I want the work to be transcendent. You know, initially my, the, the initial um, variations were very mundane. You know, you could walk up to it and be like, oh, this is chicken wire with paper on it. <laughs> <laughs> And I, that's not what I want, you know, right. for the work. I don't want the first thing to to be, you know, like, oh, what is this made of? So, yeah, so I landed on these uh, these origami cranes that are each about a cubic foot. Like, they're quite large. They're folded from 18-inch square paper mm. and ended up folding 1,200 of them because that's the size I needed to make, you know, what the I had calculated how many cranes I thought I would need to make this mountain. And, uh yeah. And, and they're suspended from the from the ceiling in this kind of floating mountain that floats a few inches above the ground. Did you ever have days when you were working on these birds thinking, what the hell am I doing this for? Yep, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, there was there were two days in particular. We we went up to Philly for uh, for one of my husband's shows. He's a photographer. And so we went up to see uh, for the opening of a show of his work. And we rented a tiny home thinking, this is going to be great. We finally get to try this tiny home thing. And I brought, all my, I brought a portfolio with paper with the birds I needed to fold because I had calculated exactly how many birds I needed to fold every day for three months. Oh, wow. Um, and so I brought this with me because I think we were there either. It was two or three days total. We were in this tiny house. There was a tiny table um, that I tried to work at on the floor, and it was so cramped, and I ended up injuring, like giving myself an overuse injury <laughs> from trying to fold in this tiny house um, the last time, the last time for me in the tiny house. <laughs> and I was definitely questioning my choices there. <laughs> How did you get the birds back? I just stuffed them in my portfolio. Oh, I mean, they're flat, you know, they, oh, so they you can fold. flatten them out. Okay. Yeah. For the installation, they're kind of opened up and, uh, and then they take <laughs> up, you know, about a cubic foot, but they fold flat. <laughs> that is good. <laughs> okay. Before I forget, I should ask you this. Well, I want to, we, we need to, I want to explore more of your creative thinking, but, uh, the fact that you're an athlete also, I want to just touch on that really quickly. I mean, I think that like, I think that it in keeping with what you were talking about earlier with like motherhood or something, there is like, I'm just aware that for some people, especially, uh, like friends that I've had over the years that are brilliant creative thinkers, but there's this dilemma that something like if my identity isn't all encompassing, if my identity isn't like totally committed to this singular notion that I'm an artist, then am I an artist? Like, am I even legit? And in some ways, you know, life forces you to challenge your own identity in this way. Uh, there, there are aspects of your identity that 
you're not even allowed to separate from for the most part. And, and we don't, I think, worry about those as much. But even with the notion of, of like, I spend some of my time being an athlete or I have a family to take care of or I, what, if I have another passion, like I have other passions uh, other than music, for example, there's sometimes this feeling like it's not appropriate to let your identity be broader than like the single thing you want to be known for. Yeah. Like, am I a serious artist? Yeah. If I run all the time or something. Yeah. yeah. And like, what is that all about? <laughs> what is that all about? Yeah. I think, I think that's fed by, I hate saying society as a whole, but I think it's fed of the, by this perception we have of artists needing to suffer and be fundamentally unhealthy some way, right? You know, like we need to take drugs I'm and be so alcoholics. Glad that you started talking about this. <laughs> no, it's a thing I've thought about for a long time. Yeah. Um, because it comes up in popular culture a lot. I mean, no artists in movies are portrayed as like healthy or having a full lives. You know, yeah. they're very one-sided. They're completely obsessed with their work. They're mean. They don't handle money right. I mean, there's so many bad uh, ideas we have or that, that, that like popular culture throws around about artists, which are bullshit really mm-hmm. and very damaging because they people's perception of artists is really messed up like we're really uh like we're irresponsible and and i don't know there's just so much and i feel like i'm constantly fighting that perception like i'm trying to like prove to everyone that i can be like a legitimate <laughs> yeah and yeah and i've dealt with the like am i a legitimate artist if i am also an athlete like is that okay i've i've dealt with that for a very long time and i actually had a a guy at an as at a residency like in the summer in between grad school years who told me i would be s- such a much better artist if i spent less time riding my bike or something like that and i just thought man fuck you man yeah <laughs> fuck you <laughs> and it just like no one ever says, you know, you'd be a better artist. Some people must have said it, but it's it's less common for people to say, oh, you'd be a better artist if you didn't drink alcohol or whatever. You know, like we don't encourage the healthy things. We encourage the devils. And right. It is frustrating. And uh, in my life, yeah, I like every time I can, I'm trying to find my way back to something more healthy. And I had a dilemma a few years ago. I was like, I, I didn't know how to continue to be an artist and make it as healthy as I could. And I'm, I'm in the middle probably I'm maybe not in the middle. I'm, I'm farther along in that process than I used to be. Uh, but I'm determined that it's possible. I'm determined that it doesn't have to be this crazy alcohol driven, like self self, you know, harming thing to be creative. Uh, and I think it's real bogus and, and the light and, it is unfortunate that the lifestyle, especially for the musician, often supports all that stuff. But like right. I'm noticing more and more people that I come in contact with, they want music. They don't want a show that goes on till 2 a.m., you know, and they want music, but they're also sober. And they so they like they're they're kind of like deciding to discard some of the negative vices and lean into the positive ones. And I want that to just keep going. That's what I want my relationship with music to be like is more of that. Are you, are you able to dictate that? And I know that sometimes, I guess, yeah. How are you able to, to kind of control that in a way if you're going to gigs that last a certain amount of time or go to a certain time in the night? Yeah. Uh, Only so far, you know, like I, it means I I pretty much gave up bar shows. Uh, The most that I will do, which is, this is another difficult part of the industry, but 
maybe necessary. The the guaranteed money. If I want to make like, if I want to get guaranteed like three or five hundred dollars, then I need to play bar shows that go from like ten p.m. to two in the morning. I pretty much said screw those, but that kind of puts me in a position where I do more like ticketed shows. Ticketed shows very. It takes many many years to be able to do ticketed shows all throughout the country. You know, so pretty much that means that I have I've put myself in a position where I don't I don't get to travel as much as I would like because. I won't play bars. Uh, I won't play bars, at least, that keep me there till 2 in the morning. So, you know, I, I've decided to sacrifice that part of what could make me money and that what could make things a little bit easier. But, you know, for, for what I think is a higher standard of performance anyway, you know? Yeah. Like I, like I think places that have stages that are more, like, appropriate for listening to music are often not the ones that are open till two in the morning. Right. So, yeah. Health, though. What kind of athlete are you? So, I'm a runner, and I ride bikes, and and I hike. I love hiking with my family. And uh, we recently started uh, backpacking again because my son is 10 and Mm. can now carry a backpack. Nice. Do you notice, like, I heard, I think uh, recently I heard a comedian talk a bit about how it benefits, like, he he was like, oh, I, like, I'm way less creative if I don't work out, like, and I didn't realize that, but do you notice that it, do do you see a benefit for your creativity? 100%. I solve problems when I'm, when I go out, especially I notice this on, on long runs, because it's, you're, the chatter, it takes a while for the chatter, it takes a a while for the chatter to quiet down. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's after that first hour, second hour, things start to kind of just like you start to relax and, uh, or I do anyway. And I can, I, I yeah, I problem solve anything from uh, things I'm doing in, in school that are school related that I'm trying to figure out. And in my work, I've gotten ideas and I've come up with projects and with solutions in running, but also generally I just need it to be, I have a lot of, uh, yayas. I need to kind of burn off mm. <laughs> a lot of excess energy. Um, so I'm a, I'm definitely a better person when I'm getting a lot of exercise yeah. and, uh, and also making things in the studio. Those are the, the two really the big ones for me to be complete and to be okay. <laughs> mm. When did you start? When did you get into, uh, athleticism? <laughs> I mean, I've been running since I was a kid. Okay. I, I started running with my dad when I was like 11 or something. And, and before that I was doing, you know, what everyone else does like gymnastics. And I think I ice skated for, I, I did, I ice skated for some time and then it was ballet. I danced for through, through college. Mm. Um, Damn. yeah, my dance teacher did not like that. I ran, <laughs> but I had a string of injury of running injuries really young. Oh. And so then that was like in like off and on over the years and the last few years I've been able to run consistently. That's been good. So, and I started riding bikes 20 years ago. That is, that is quite a variety of, of things to, I don't, to, to be a part of your just like regular life, like dance, bikes, running, painting, drawing. Well, I don't dance anymore. Right. Unfortunately, I'm, I miss dancing, right. but yeah, I haven't, you know, but just a part of your uh, yeah, whatever yeah. career of sure. expressing yourself. Um, it's, that's quite an eclectic mix of it's stuff. Ec- it's eclectic. I mean, but for me, it's like, but I'm, I'm very purposeful. So like, it seems like a lot, but r- now, you know, it's pretty simple. It's like during the week, I'm either 
I either go for a run or a ride and I paint and I teach <laughs> and I have my family stuff. You know, that's, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's all. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> I mean, we, we don't go out, we don't drink. And so, yeah, we don't go out. And so that tends to simplify things. <laughs> yeah. I gave up alcohol this past October and, uh, I thought it was, a, I thought it was just going to take a month off, but then I ended up now I'm like, whatever, it's been four months or something, five, four months into it, maybe three. It was all of October, November, December. Yeah. So, uh, roughly four months and yeah, I think I'll just kind of not, I think I just don't drink anymore. Kind of um, <laughs> funny how that happens. I mean, <laughs> yeah. truthfully, I would, I would love to be able to like have a beer or a glass of wine with friends, but it, it messes me up. Mm. I just don't tolerate it at all anymore. So yeah. I just don't, I just stopped. It yeah. wasn't worth it. I tolerated it, but I just kind of, I don't know. I've heard so, like so many people in the world and in our community seem to be giving it up. Uh, really? Yeah. Like a lot of people are giving it up and, and a lot of the most ambitious people that I know of, uh, and some of my favorite artists, you know, like, some of my favorite artists and creators out there like don't drink. And it was interesting to me because for me, I was always like associated that with my creative side. Like I exactly what we were talking about, sort of like misbehavior and lack of health being a part of sort of like how you, how you view your artistic rebellious self or whatever. And maybe it's that word rebellion that's, that's handy in this way or whatever. Cause I think at this point it's like, it's more like, rebellious to be as healthy as you can be or something totally you know and I I think that's what people are realizing but but anyway yeah I just I I realized that this thing that I was telling myself was just a lie this the the need for it to be a part of my creative process you know right so I just thought that's hard though if it's been a part of your creative process that's a big leap to take to go from creating you know in some kind of whether it's drunk or high or whatever it is whatever you think you need or your brain needs to be able to create, that's hard. You know, I, um, I am very obsessive (laughs) in my work and also kind of in life, I think. And I, I made a decision, I think when it was, I was in college or high school or something that I never wanted to make my work in any kind of like inebriated or high or anything state, because I was afraid that if I did it once and it worked out, that I would never want to stop. Mm-hmm. And so I made that decision a really long time ago and never have. Damn. I'm afraid that if I do, like, I won't be able to stop. You Damn. know, that I'll always have to, like, do whatever I need to do, smoke up or something before uh, getting in the studio. And I just don't want to have to rely on, on anything but myself. I'm getting the impression that you're, like, a, a very deliberate person. Yes, yes. More so than I think the average person that I might run into. Yeah, very purposeful, very deliberate. I didn't really realize this until recently. Really? Like a lot of my, my choices are very deliberate. Yeah. That's interesting. Does that express itself as a part of your creative process as well? Like what, how does that relate to you as a painter? That's a really good question. Um, I mean, maybe it, it relates in the way that I pick you know, a a group or a series of paintings and then try to stick with it until I feel like I've exhausted it or until I get bored. (laughs) Yeah. And, but that usually ends up being for a few years. So are there like when you're like, okay, so I'm going to test my memory here. I believe that 
when we spoke for the aperture thing, I remember some paintings that I believe were yours that were sort of like parks. Yes. And they were green and uh, sort of like abstract, but real mm-hmm. kind of exactly what you were describing. Yeah. I remember one with a red, like a red line that was like a, like a barrier or something. Yeah. In it. Uh, so it sounds like that was your work. Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> cool. absolutely. Yes. You're remembering um, correctly. <laughs> good. Good. Uh, so those works, those lines that are made, those shapes, are those all deliberate in the sense that you know you're making them before you make them, or is there are they discovered along the way? You know what both, I mean. Both. Both. Yeah, I would say part of you know, pl- placing marks and shapes is intuitive. And then part of it, I would say a big part of it for me also is thinking through at least the color, cho- color choices. I really think th- through, you know, like what, what color is going to set off this other color next to it or what color should I put underneath everything so that if it peeks through just a little bit in the end, it's going to be dissonant. Mm. Um, I think about dissonance a lot, like dissonance versus harmony. Um, and yeah, I, I would say I am very purposeful, even more so in the work now because I'm planning everything. And I didn't for years. The paintings were developing as I went, like through the process, I was discovering the end, the end piece. I, I did not know what paintings were going to look like until the end. And now I'm making a lot of preliminary drawings, a lot of, uh, yeah, little sketches to figure out compositions. And um, I'm making a lot of sketches that don't end up being paintings. I'm just kind of figuring things out through drawing. And then I'm figuring out my colors even ahead of time. It doesn't always end up being that. And I will make changes if I need to, because sometimes when you make things bigger and you paint them, it doesn't turn out the way you thought when Mm -hmm. you were drawing and so I'm not rigid, like I'll still, I'll make changes if I need to, um, if the painting needs it. But yeah, I think I'm even more deliberate now. I think the paintings are like much more restrained than they have been in a long time. Um, and I'm not saying they'll always be like that. I might bring in like, more, you know, back more gestural paint strokes again, but right now that's not what's happening in my work. So it's fascinating. And did that change the level of deliberateness is that right? Deliberation? I don't know what. The the level of that that's in there right now, did that start when the shift happened where you started doing like figures again? Yeah, it did. And that was, I think you told me, but when did that process start? This last start? summer. This last so summer. summer of 2022. That's, that's interesting. Because it might just be totally not related at all, but I do get the sense that there's a lot of new directions taking place and like, I don't know what that means and I don't know to what degree and in and, and what arts, but it's fascinating to me the possibility that um, I, I, I'm i kind of thinking, I'm wondering if like artistically we might be kind of communally moving to this, this place of um, a more orderly approach to art in some really? kind of way. I, what do you mean? Like what have you noticed? I feel like... Basically, I feel like there's a new traditional movement taking place in music, and I'm wondering if like that... When you say traditional in music, what do you mean? I mean, um, I guess like if we're thinking of a spectrum of like popular music, like 
old fa- as it relates to an idea of the past versus an idea of the present. I feel like um, traditional relates us culturally to something like the past. So I'm talking about like roots music, Americana kind of songwriter stuff versus the in the moment nature of pop music. So people who are very aware of their musical past and trying to integrate that into their work now. Even even just like cult, cultural past, like it's kind of like the subtle difference between somebody who maybe sings with an acoustic guitar, like some an artist like Tyler Childers who is sings songs about like the working class and coal miners versus uh, Coldplay, <laughs> like something sure. like Coldplay that's like mass appeal and and uh, like large reach and all about sort of like the present moment of the experience. I feel like, I feel like within music, there is a a substantive appeal right now, or like a significant appeal for the old fashioned sort of like, uh, humanity and like past oriented music. Do you think that does that have anything to do with records coming back? I'm not sure, but I do think there is something really interesting about that as well. Uh, records, I believe, if I'm right, I think in 2020 or 2021, one of the two, I think like old mediums were outperforming new mediums. Yeah. CDs and CDs and records were like outperforming stream to music in some cases or something. I remember that being an article that floated around for a while. There's, I do think there's a little bit of something like uh, if I had to if I had to venture a guess retroism and vintage appeal and stuff seems to be dominating a lot of media right now in yeah. uh film and in music. And I think that that's basically, I think we're like kind of going to experience a, tra- a, a, a cultural shift towards something more traditional in a lot of ways. Yeah. We've been talking about this with my husband. I think there's been a reaction at least like talking about records and, and CDs. I think there's a reaction to all the, like the d- digital and the speed at everything that we can, we don't have to be patient anymore. I think people are having this ap- appreciation for like touching things. Yeah. Like there's, there's something really wonderful about putting on a record. It's very deliberate, right? And you can only, you listen to it for what, tw- 20 minutes, the f- one side, and then you have to go and, and turn it, turn it and put the needle back on. Like you gotta, li- you want, you have to want to listen to that record. Yeah. And there's a really nice experience that where you're not really gonna go and do something else and not really listen to it. I mean, it might be in the background, but y- you know, with uh, Pandora or Spotify or whatever, like it's always going. You can just turn it on and then just start this constant soundtrack. It's so easy. Um, I don't know. And you have to choose to want to choose to put on a record. Well, easy is the right word. Like, there's so much about everything in life now that is so passive right like we can just use we can just let things happen to us you just let things happen <laughs> to us we can press the buttons on the phone and somebody will deliver our dinner and somebody will and we can press the button and the music will just play and we won't have to think about it and we can cut on the tv and the netflix and the movie will be there and we like you know we might have to actually pick a movie but netflix conveniently added a feature where you can let them pick the movie for playing. you i know <laughs> you yeah. know like I, I get it. I get that the, all those things are meant to make our life better and all well, this they're stuff. Well, they're mainly meant for people to make money off of us. That too. Number one. That I'm too. pretty sure. <laughs> Absolutely. And the more like we consume these things, the more money is made. But, you know, like, yeah, there's something really 
boring about not participating in your own life and like when you have to put that record on you do get to make that choice it's not yeah. it's not a it's not pure it's it's there's there's a way to look at it as an inconvenience but you could also look at it as like I'm I'm taking ownership of what I'm doing in this moment you know and it's nostalgic i i think about yeah. like i love listening to a record that my one of my grandpas would have listened to you know and they would have put that record on maybe after work and like it's very moving to me to feel connected to my family through music like that or through a medium like a record. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, and I don't think this is just artistic movement. I think it's like a cultural movement. You know, I think a lot of my friends have gotten into gardening over the last few years. You yeah. know, I, I think the COVID experience shocked a lot of people and made them like question their, how much they rely on everything, all the powers that be, you know, for their own survival and entertainment and, and sense of meaning, you know? So I think, yeah, a lot. I know a lot of people that want to move out of the city, move to a place like this, have a garden, and you know, have a more a life that's uh, in touch with nature more, which I think is like fucking cool. You know. Yeah. I mean, also just to play devil's advocate, I think there are ways of living in the city, and also having a lot. You no, know, like I think in Winston Salem in particular, we're very lucky. We have parks ten minutes away, and we can be out in nature, you know, fully, and we can have small gardens. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it, it is not, it's a very livable kind of town to live in. It is. And if you're going to do it, Winston, like if you wanted that happy balance, Winston is a great place for it. Yeah. You know, and absolutely. Like I know of a farm in East Bend where a guy is desperate to rent out parts of his farm to people that want to use it, you know, and, uh, you know, if you're really determined, you could live in downtown Winston, but go like work on this farm and, and East Bend regularly and provide a bunch of food for yourself and then take it to Winston. East Bend, I think uh, I wrote, I was riding through there yesterday on my bike and I just happened to notice that there are some big old houses there that are, don't look like oh, they're yeah. being lived in. And I, it would be pretty cool to have like, there needs to be an, an artist residency or something out there, you know, mm-hmm. um, cause there's space and yeah. Anyway, East Bend, there's a lot of that and it's all flat farmland. And Mount Airy has a lot of that. It's more right. hilly, but like, God, there's so many gigantic, beautiful houses out there that are, you know, just kind of wasting away yeah. because Mount Airy is so depressed or whatever. But yeah, I mean, there, that's a lot of the South, I guess. A um, lot of lot of beautiful land, a lot of room where there there should be artist residencies and there aren't yeah. yet. Yeah, yeah. You asked about whether there was like a, I don't know if this is the right word, like a traditionalization or something in the arts or visual arts. And I think there has been, I mean, there are always cycles, but, um, over the last while now, maybe 10, maybe even 20 years, there has been more, uh, there's been a lot of people going back to the figure, the human figure kind of fell out of favor for a while, like in the eighties, um, things got really conceptual there, like on the end of the 20th century, People were, you know, I think after like minimalism, pop and minimalism, things mm-hmm. went super conceptual eventually and um, not about technique like at all. And I think whenever you start to go back technique, you have to look at tradition because you're learning inevitably about like what other artists were doing back when they were learning in academies or, you know, from other artists. Yeah. And so there has been there has been a, a like a resurgence in a way. There are even, you know, there academies in the. U.S. that are teaching, quote-unquote, traditional painting or, or drawing methods 
like the old masters. <laughs> so how do you feel about that? Like, is that, is great. that cool to see for you? I think it's cool. I love it. Yeah. I've always been like such a technician, you know, like I've always been a real nerd as far as process and materials and, you know, trying to learn how to do things right, make them archival for them to last a long time. Like I've never the kind of, I don't do things halfway, you know, so I've been, you know, learning about and, and just doing my own research about materials and processes as far as painting since I was in college, I was doing that kind of, we weren't learning it, hmm. you know, we weren't being taught that stuff. And I wanted to know, you know, like, I feel like there's a lot here that we're not learning, like all these pigments that the paint is making from, they all have different ways, like working qualities. And I want to learn this stuff and all these different oils we can use with oil painting. They all have different properties. And so I've always been in, into that and, and learning for all, all different media, whether it's oil or acrylic or yeah, whatever. Yeah. I'm just, what I'm noticing is so interesting. Like that level of attention to detail and plus you've identified throughout your life it sounds like you've identified things that often hang up artists and you've just kind of said fuck that <laughs> which is yeah, very interesting for like, sure i have definitely said fuck that yeah. <laughs> like there was the the healthy bit there was like the health part but you also said something earlier about um finishing projects and that is probably it's got to be number one i think it was I think Da Vinci said, having an idea is noble, finishing an idea, finishing an idea is servile, I believe is what he said. And uh, yeah, like finishing a goddamn project is, is, it is impossible for very many people. And yeah. I think especially for creatives who they get in that zone, they get it a quarter of the way there, and then they're like, no, now I have come up with the the project that's because that's when things become difficult right you know like have (laughs) ideas are a dime a dozen like everyone has ideas but like executing them and then completing them even if they turn out to be shit is so hard and i think like at least in in painting like the initial impulse like the first the start of the painting is very seductive and there's a tendency to just stop like because like everything's fresh and there's energy and then once you start to keep going then it gets really difficult because you have to start editing it's mm-hmm. like writing you know you have to start making decisions to destroy stuff to get rid of it to cover it up and you know maybe and to be a judge yeah you yeah. have to be that's where you i think that's where maturity comes into play is knowing like and you don't always know it's always a crapshoot you know like there's there's i there's always like an inflection point in the progression or in like the life cycle of a making a painting where it's like okay now I, I'm either going to finish it or it's going to fall apart, you know, or I'm really going to fuck it up this mm-hmm. time. And like that happens. You never know. And I think being a pro is being able to like either like if you do fuck it up, <laughs> knowing like this is like beyond repair or just being able to actually salvage it and do something, you know, that's when you know like you've like you've learned. <laughs> you've yeah. gotten to a, a point where you can make something of it. Um, but that's hard. It's a hard point. Well, that whole that whole little pattern that I just described, like w- with you, like, wh- how did that, like, how did that happen to you? Like, how did you become this person that is that sort of clear about disregarding the things that don't help you? Cause that, that's like a, that's a really interesting skill that a lot of people don't have and probably th- think that they would love to have, you know, I'm sure it's a, I'm sure it's a skill that demands a lot from you or a way of being that demands a lot from you. But like, 
I don't know. Like when have you just always been that way? No. And I haven't always been clear. And I still, there are things that I still struggle with and it's only in retrospect that you realize, Oh, well that wasn't important at all. I mean, it's the same as, you know, we worry about stuff or what someone said or thinks we make up these huge stories in our head. And then it turns out like that wasn't at all what was going on. And, or it was not at all a problem. Mm. Like it's the, I think it's the same with a lot of things that we, that we fret about. And, and it's like, well, that wasn't at all what was important here. <laughs> mm. And the, I, I, I try to err on the side of simplicity mostly and, and being more minimal. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. I feel like I took it somewhere else, but. But is, I mean, yeah. like this wasn't something that you're like, Oh, I learned like, this was the day I learned to do this in fifth grade or something like that. No, I mean, I, I've, I've had like my parents have modeled like serious work ethic for me forever. Mm-hmm. Um, they were always just very hard workers, never bitched about work like ever, at least not to us, like to me and my brother, we never heard them complain. They always just did it. And, um, any problems they came up were like very kind of matter of fact. And then you just, you move through it, you keep working. Um, so there wasn't that kind of drama growing up as far as like how you deal with life. Um, there was other drama that I don't think we need to get into. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds fine. But, um, as far as like your working life and how you are professionally, it was always like you uphold yourself to a really high standard and, just do your, your best, you know? And I think that that's been the, the lasting thing for me is I I just want to, to, it's, I'm not a, I don't think of myself as a perfectionist. I think of myself as always looking for like the the highest level of quality, which is a real different kind of mindset than, than perfectionism, because I think perfectionism keeps us from being able to finish things or start things especially. And so that's, it's kind of a dangerous pattern. Mm. Interesting. I have a friend who I've heard talk about sort of, I think she has a mentality that's like always looking for the highest quality kind of thing. Like, and yeah, I don't think I know what that is. I don't think that that's how I operate. And I'm fascinated by that. Um, is this, is that way of operating? Is that just like, does that go that does that cover pretty much everything? Is that like a definitive thing for your selection of food, your selection of lifestyle? No, it can't be. I think I would like self destruct. I see. You know, like it's for my work. For your work. You know, like gotcha. I, I eat the best way I can. I feed my family the best way I can, but like sure I eat chips at night because they're delicious. <laughs> they're salty. I love chips. <laughs> you know, so like much. <laughs> no, like I mean I have to be human. I, w- I, I don't wanna I'm not like anal <laughs> about all parts, but yeah. I am for my work, you know, and yeah. I think you had asked about like how, how I can be like, I don't know. Like, I feel like I'm, I'm a real asshole for certain things because I have to prioritize my work, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And I, I've also like, I don't feel like I'm unapologetic when it comes to prioritizing my work and not that I'll like, you know, I have a relationship with my husband that luckily like he's very similar. He gets it. I think that's why we jive, you know, he's, he is a process person in his work as a photographer and in his work, you know, what he does for, for pay. He also has like super, super high standards. He works in film and TV. So the standards are very, very high, you oh, know, cool. as well. And he's also just like very hardworking. And so like we get it. And 
it, it has been very challenging to raise a child. I, I will admit, like, I felt like a bad parent the first few years when my son was a toddler and would, before he was in preschool and when I was working from home and would have to tell him, and this is even, like, for my work outside of the studio, and I would have to tell him to play on his own, that I could not, I just could not be interrupted continually, like, as, as two- and three-year-olds are apt to do, like, continually ask mm. for something, and... um I had to constantly tell him like that he had to let me work because I was very, I don't know, just, uh, yeah, he's become very independent, thankfully. So it worked out in the end. Um, but it, it's, uh, it's tricky as a parent to feel like you just can't always just be at their, uh, just at, at their mercy. Yeah. Um, I know this is like a bit, uh, what's the word? Not, not everyone agrees with that style of parenting, but you know, I just, that is, that's how we, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I really do appreciate us. I appreciate you talking about that just cause I, I really find it valuable to think about and hear about. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's like, it's a, it's a thing. It's a sacrifice. It's like, it's kind of like a sacrifice of, yeah. of some sort that, yeah, probably not everybody would understand. And especially people who don't feed their own creativity. Now I, I like I'm I'm somebody who believes that everybody has creative impulses. Sure. It doesn't mean they're all artists, you know. Um I, I I don't think everybody's an artist and I don't think everything anybody does is an artist, but you know, I think that it does take a lot of fortitude, a lot of clarity, a lot of like uh commitment to like stay in the state of mind of, of an artist of to feed the creative impulse. And uh you know, like when when you have to set up boundaries for yourself in order to do that. I mean, I, I I think most artists, most people who know that feeling would agree that that's like an appropriate, understandable thing to do. Yeah. I mean, in retrospect, it's fine. And, and our son turned out fine. And yeah. he's also like very creative and loves to read and do things on his own now and has his own little projects. And so, and, you know, it's, it's fine. But at the time, it's it's you feel bad. People are weird about <laughs> kids too. Like people, yeah. people, you know, and I don't have any, but like I've got a niece and a nephew and stuff. And, and, and well, I have, I have a family of like 70 people now. <laughs> Just like, it's unbelievable how many kids are in the family now. But, um, yeah, like I remember when <laughs> the kids first started coming around, you know, uh, the, all the new parents are sort of like, uh, like, uh, a lot of gritting of the teeth. And then like, Last summer, I went to a, a cousin's wedding and just kids everywhere, like crying. And some of the most <laughs> like the most uh, experienced of the mothers just kind of like a kid in each arm, three trailing behind her. And she's just like, cry if you want. I kind of don't care. Like, cry. You're going to cry. And that and then you'll sleep and it'll be fine. You know, <laughs> and her, her attitude is just different about how fragile. I don't know right. how, how fragile the whole dynamic is. Right. It's not as fragile as we think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and it's okay to let, let them have their emotions. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to learn yeah. that with marble. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard though. You know, like you care about her. She's your baby and you don't want to see her suffer. Like, I think our, our impulse as like caregivers is to want to like save our kids and keep them from feeling bad things, but that that's not beneficial for them as adults. Like they have yeah. to learn. That's exactly right. Process. Yeah. And there's, you know, yes. And that is correct. And it is hilarious to me how 
I've noticed that like with myself, how something as simple as this puppy will challenge things that I am sure I believe, you know, I can say those things that you just said. I can say how important it is to encourage independence and like accept that people will be uncomfortable and all this stuff. And then when I have to like <laughs> leave the house and put her in this little crate thing or whatever, I'm like, Oh no, like, Oh no, she's going to be unhappy for like 20 minutes. But it's normal, you know, yeah. like it's the same with like, you know, letting our son ride his bike around the neighborhood. I'm like, okay, this is good for him. But in my head, I'm like, oh, I, I'm afraid he's going to get hit by a car. I'm afraid this is going to happen, but I just keep it to myself. You know, mm. like also like he needs to be out in the world and we have taught him how to be on a road and how to ride his bike and be safe with traffic. Like he knows these things and you just have to let go. And I just uh, keep my mouth shut. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Yeah. So you're from Pennsylvania? <laughs> so I actually grew up in North Carolina. Okay. So my, I was born in, in 1980 up in Maine. My dad and my mom were teaching at University of Maine at the time. And then dad got a job at Davidson College. So down kind of just like 30 minutes up from Charlotte. Mm-hmm. And so we moved there. I wasn't even one. We moved there. I think it was a year appointment. Then we moved back to Maine. And then they brought him back down and then he was on a 10 year track. And so I basically grew up in Davidson and he, he was teaching in the French department. And so the faculty in the French department would take turns going to France for junior year abroad. And mm. so my mom is French. And so every like five years or so, the whole family, like me and my brother and my parents, we would go to France for one to two years at a time, depending on my dad's teaching appointment. And we would be able to see our French family because all of my mother's side of the family's there. So oh, we cool. could see everyone there. And then we would come back to Davidson. And so I, and then I left North Carolina when I was 18 to go to college. Um, and then I went to grad school right after. And then a year after grad school, I met my now husband and moved in with him in Philadelphia. And we lived there for a few years um, that was like the longest I'd ever lived in one place as an adult ah. in Philly. So Philly has a special place in my heart. Gotcha. Um, and then we moved to Australia and we lived in Australia for a couple of years, had a kid there and then moved to North Carolina. So my parents live like an hour away so we can see them yeah. pretty often. And my brother. That's awesome. So a pretty wide view of the world probably. Yeah. And I, I don't want to move ever again. <laughs> <laughs> Don't blame you. It was a lot of moving. <laughs> yeah. Do you speak French? Yeah. It's my first language. Oh, cool. I learned English when I was five. In well, that's fun. <laughs> At the time, no. <laughs> I remember in kindergarten sitting on the floor and just not knowing what, what was going on. Really? Um, and, but, you know, I learned English Yeah. then. So, yeah. Fascinating. <laughs> yeah. So uh, is that part of your life and culture? Is that influential at all in like, I, I guess, are you, are you connected at all to like a, the, your French vibes? Yeah. I mean, we speak French at home. I've been speaking French with my son since he was born because I feel like it's my uh, responsibility to teach him. Like the, 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 the language is this entry point into the culture and we live here. We don't live in France. And so if he doesn't speak French, it's, it's gone, mm-hmm. you know, like he won't have that part. Um, and so, yeah, so when we go to France, he can, he can hang out and, and speak with, have a conversation with his cousins and his aunts and uncles and stuff. So, 
That's yeah, it's so really cool. important to me. Very yeah. important. And I'm lucky that my husband has, has learned French as an adult and speaks pretty well. He speaks really well. That's awesome. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, my, my grandmother is Cuban and my mom speaks Spanish and, and all that. And I've said it, I've said it multiple times on this podcast and, uh, and there's a few people that listen to this podcast regularly. So they're hearing this again, but, um, that is a part of my existence, I guess, as a creator that I, I, I like, I have such a romantic idea of like Cuban heritage and stuff. I wish that it was a part of what I do. And it's like with that, with that heritage in particular, Cubans who came to America after Castro are like, fuck Cuba entirely, you know? So as far as my grandmother was concerned, it was just like Cuba didn't exist. And so that, that wasn't a part of what I grew up with and I don't speak Spanish and I don't feel connected to that at all. So when I hear that and when I hear of, you know, like the importance of that, I'm just like, yeah, I find that exciting just as a person. But, um, uh, also just like thinking of, of this person of who he'll be in 10 or 20 years or whatever. Like it's, it's, uh, I envy that. I think it's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, like it's just dumb luck. Like my mom came here in 1978 because she was married with my dad and there was no stigma really with, with France or Mm -hmm. any kind of relationship with the language like that. Like, and it's just, uh, yeah. And so that's the only reason that I'm still, you know, speaking French. And so, but you know, growing up, I, I did not appreciate it. And, and, uh, yeah, as a kid, you don't, you don't really understand that kind of stuff. And it was more of a pain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because my parents would have, you know, in the U S we, the, I, the goal was to speak French at home and in France was to speak English at home. And my brother and I would rebel, you know, because it's just harder when you're in school all day speaking one language to come home and have to switch. There's just a mental effort there. And, um, but having been through that, I know that it is some work, to, to, to teach your children to speak another language when you're not living in that dominant culture. And, uh, so I accepted it, that it would just be work. Yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Is, uh, I mean like France obviously has a very deep reaching history and heritage, uh, within the arts as well. Does that part of you have any connection to your artistic expression? That's a good question. You know, I've, I've wondered about that, like trying to tie together how my growing up in different countries, how that affected me as an artist. And I think I've kind of loosely figured out, I don't know if it's really, I don't know if it's accurate, but it kind of, it makes sense in my head that having grown up in different countries that, and I never really kind of felt like I fit in just feeling kind of rootless Mm. a little bit. Um, and then figuring out over time that when I feel really kind of at home is when I'm outside. And so kind of figuring that out for myself has helped validate the time I spent outside that I spend outside doing, you know, my athletic pursuits, Mm -hmm. um, because it kind of, uh, helps me figure out like who I am in this world. And then, and that feeds into my artwork. So, Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't think it about the question in those terms, and that makes it make more sense because uh, it ain't like you were, yeah, like what you described, you're not, maybe like French isn't the primary part of your identity or whatever, right. but uh, you've lived all these places, and 
and gotten to look at the world, you know, kind of from from different perspectives. So that's interesting. Uh, I need to ask about Australia before I forget. Like, what was that like? I've never been there. It's it's pretty wonderful. Yeah. The people are are pretty great. <laughs> They're really great. Yeah. yeah. Um, very warm and, and open. And um, yeah, we. My husband had a, a job working at a post production facility in Adelaide in South Australia. And so we, yeah, we were there a couple of years and, um, yeah, we eventually left. I, it's just, it's, we thought about staying cause we really enjoyed the quality of life there, but it is so far from our family, mm-hmm. you know, and our, our parents are getting older and we just didn't want to be a 30 hour trip away from, from family. It's, it's just too far. That is far. Yeah. And, um, yeah, like it's the, the trip is an undertaking and it's super expensive. And then the jet lag is fierce. Mm-hmm. Um, cause it's, you know, it was 13 and a half hour time difference with Adelaide and, and here East coast. So yeah, it just wasn't, it didn't seem like the right thing for us to stay there. So we would love to go back eventually, but yeah, not yet. Yeah. It's super expensive. <laughs> In my head, Australia is a very outdoors experience. Um, a lot of nat- like, I, I just when I when I see when I see visuals of Australia and what people love about it, it seems to be very nature oriented. Uh, was that what it was? Was that what your, your experience was like? Y- with yes that and no. I mean, you know, most of the people in Australia are concentrated in the major metropolitan areas, mm. and then the you know major nature stuff is in the center, which is desert um, and very inhospitable, <laughs> very beautiful, but very. Uh, kind of strange and you I, I felt like I really just did not belong like this this environment does not want me here but I always feel that in the desert you know I, I have this like I love the desert and it's so majestic mm-hmm. and amazing but it's also terrifying to me I think because I'm from the east coast and I'm used to like deciduous forests well, yeah. I'm with you there <laughs> the lack of water uh is uh is kind of scary <laughs> yeah it's weird yeah it's weird um and, but yeah, but there, yeah, we, the Adelaide is surrounded by like parklands. And I remember doing a lot of runs out in, in the parks, but they were very tame. You know, it wasn't like wild. Um, and, uh, but yeah, it's, it's really cool to be able to ride my bike to the, to the ocean and also ride my bike up into the mountains. But I guess that's what people in California have. That just seems really special to me here. Yeah. <laughs> We say that that's what we have here, but it's not on a bike. It's not. It's, it's more like in a three-hour car ride. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, you know, we make do. Uh, oh, we do We do great in North Carolina. We do pretty good. super lucky. I, I <laughs> yeah. love I love our, our outdoor spaces here. Yeah. So. Yeah, so uh, that was kind of where this part of the conversation took us, and so I'll just, like, I'll ask about that again. Because um, what you were explaining was basically that, the outdoors is part of how you feel at home. It sounded yeah. like is what you were saying. Um, so you, so what, what does that usually mean for you? Like when, when you need to, when you need to get connected with that, obviously you bike and stuff, but what do you like to do with that? I mean, uh, I'm not, uh, assuming I understand what you're asking. I, when you want to get connected to nature, what do you do? I guess. I mean, I, I go, I can go for a walk. If I need like an instant hit, I can just go for a walk. (laughs) I can go for a walk in my neighborhood. And even if it's asphalt, you know, like there's, there's birds and I can go right into, you know, whatever kind of space I need to. I think the walk, the walk for me is like, 
is a reset. Um, but then like going into the woods is, I really enjoy being on trails. Like mm-hmm. I really like being off road. Um, I also, I like, I like solitude and, and I like some effort. You know, I think that's why I like running and, and riding bikes is because when you're moving, especially running, cause it's so simple and you're, you don't have a bike supporting you. Like you tap into your breathing and your heartbeat, like very, very quickly, you know, and you're, it's a very immediate sensation like you're feeling your body moving through space and um i think some there's something very meditative about that for me and so i'm able to get into into a a good headspace if it's a good run and and most rides and runs are good i mean it's once in a while you have especially runs once in a while i'll go into a bad headspace um but that's that's pretty rare honestly and i've gotten to the point where i can get myself out of it generally speaking by waiting a little bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's a headspace thing, you know, like I just, I feel uh, most like me when I'm doing that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I feel like right in my skin, like I'm myself. I am trying to find just the mental uh, discipline to kind of lean into, like uh, lean into that. I've heard that exact kind of expression from a few people and just the importance and and like we were talking about earlier with what's happening culturally like the way that we're shifting all this stuff put together i feel like that's a piece that i'm looking forward to leaning into uh finding my groove with that stuff but i haven't found my groove yet i haven't been an athlete since i was in high school you know and what were you doing in high school i did everything in high school i just did that that was my life really before before i knew i guess my first inkling of self-expression was um or or ego was was writing like fiction writing but then by the time I was in middle school it was just like sports was my life and that was all I thought that I would do with my time uh but then when I graduated that was just kind of like it ended and I, I went full wholeheartedly into the arts at that point do you miss it athletics yeah yeah I do and there's something like, there's something, I, I occasionally will go play ball at a park near here. And when I can do that with other people, there's something ex- like so exciting to be 33 and to like realize that I still have the use of my body in this way. And like that I still have like hand-eye coordination and that I can still like run past people and stuff. I'm like, wow, I didn't know I, I didn't know I could tap into this, but it just like, I just need to get it all back in shape. I feel like, cause I just have let it get, I've let my whole, whatever I've let my body just get so used to not using those muscles in those ways, you know? Sure. So I just need to like, I just need to make it a habit real bad. So what's your plan? Actually yesterday I <laughs> purchased my YMCA membership. Congrats. Yeah. So, uh, I, as you were kind of talking about bike and I was thinking about, I was, I was like, I looked earlier, it's like a 34 minute bike ride from here to the Y. I think it's too much for me right now. It's <laughs> so, hilly around here too. Yeah. I figured is. out where I was when I turned onto the road right before the dirt road and I've been riding here and oh, yeah? some intense hills. Here. How do you end up riding up here? Do you, I start, I didn't start in Winston. I had started at a friend's house in, uh, like outside of Bethania. You drive up here and then just kind of yes. go riding. I yeah. see. Is that what, why do you do that? 
It doesn't smell. Uh, yeah, I, it's, I'm ashamed now that I put it out loud like that. I would <laughs> rather just ride from my house, but um, <laughs> so I can ride in the country <laughs> and not have to fight traffic. Right, right. I do ride from my house for shorter rides. Yeah, but and also because I mean the group rides start out of Louisville. Yes, so I can I've seen them out there. Do, like I try to do at least one a week. Yeah, so I can be with other people a little uh, bit. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't mean why do you ride from? Yeah, I meant. I meant what draws you out of downtown? Because like we have. We have no bike lanes out here, you know, like... Well, pe- the bike um, the bike infrastructure in Winston-Salem is... Right. Mm, meh. <laughs> Lacking. Meh. <laughs> yeah. I bike to work. I mean, I have a good commute. You know, I think if you find roads where you can ride safely, it's okay. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like people downtown are a lot more patient than they are around here. It, were, it honestly freaks me out, uh, the idea of riding out here. I've got a cool bike and, uh, I, 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 would love to take it. I, like I've done very little with it so far. I got it. It was a little frustrating. I just didn't know what I was getting into, I guess. So maybe I should have just like asked more people, but as you might've noticed, we're on a gravel road out here. Yeah. So I got this bike that I thought would be a good multi-terrain bike, kind of all purpose bike. But as soon as I got it out on the driveway, I was just like, Nope, fuck this. This doesn't work out. Like I don't like this whole thing where the ground will just like slide out from under you. Um, it would do fine on dirt, I think, but gravel is no go. So anyway, I've been wanting to get the bike out and do more with it, but I'm a little, the, the, the the people up here, uh, I, I don't feel like they are very thrilled about sharing the road with people on bikes. Not always, but generally people are pretty good. I mean, for the most part, people will give you space you know, I'm not saying you should ride all over the road. You should still stay to the right. Right. But um, people are generally good. They're aggressive people for sure. And some days, I mean, yesterday morning we had a lot of aggressive people. I was on a group ride and people were for some reason just more aggressive that day. There are days like that, but I think it's generally pretty safe, but it does feel safer with other people. That helps a lot. I bet I used to, uh, I don't know how long you've been doing the Louisville thing, but I used to work out in Yadkinville and I used to drive through Louisville and would pass big bike groups a lot. And maybe I passed you once or twice. Probably. (laughs) My plan though, basically is I, I guess I, I don't know wholeheartedly. I don't know completely, but my, my first goal is to make going over there like a daily, a part of my daily routine. Uh, what that means with how to think about, how it works with her schedule and my schedule and all this shit. Like I got to figure that out, but yeah, I want to at the very least go hit the basketball court at, at, at the very least every day. But I'd like to start learning about lifting weights and stuff and figure out what that means. I've, I've had some people in my life reach out and offer some, some wisdom on that front. Uh, so I'm, I might be able to learn quicker, uh, than I would have otherwise. That's, that's step two, I guess. And then I don't know what happens after that. Well, those are, those are good steps. There's two starting points. That's so. great. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited for you. It's nice, we'll like, as an adult to tap back into that stuff and to find, uh, like, groups of people that you can do that kind of thing with. Yeah. You know. It's fun. It's just fun. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know. It was like a, well, part of it was that whole thing of, of accepting that I was allowed to do that and not think that it took away from being a musician and in fact it might i think at this point it might help me be a better musician to like be in uh, a better state of mind you know and and feeling better and functioning better and all that all that stuff 
artists are humans. Yeah. It's like we have different sides of ourselves. You know, we don't have to be toiling away in the studio every day for 12 hours a day. Right. <laughs> well, also artists are humans and humans typically do better when they, uh, when their brain works and stuff and when their body totally. works. <laughs> so it's like, why just cause you're creative, why would the rules be different? Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think once you start looking at your, your perception of your work, thinking about your, your creative work as work is helpful. It mm-hmm. can be for me. It is. I don't think of work as a negative thing. Like it's my, it, it, it taps into things like my purpose and into, I, I don't know. I, yeah, I like thinking of things as like my life, life work. Yeah. You know, like I'm building something. Absolutely. So I'm going to throw one more question at you. That's like kind of more whatever, just kind of a really broad one, but I'm just curious. Um, I had, uh, I, I just, I had a fun conversation with someone this week about art and stuff and, Anyway, long story short, what do you think this whole art thing is all about? <laughs> like, why? Whoa. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> why? Why art? Like, what? Like, what is your take on why the fuck we're still doing this shit? You know, I we have to. Some of us have to. I mean, for me, I feel like I was asked recently why I was talking to a group of eighth graders last week. And someone asked, like, why did I pick art as a career? And I'm like, I didn't, I didn't pick it. It mm. picked me. I mean, I, I, at a certain point, there was some, some picking, you know, or, may, or you know, like choosing, making priorities. But um, I think because, and this is something, maybe this is why we're going back to traditional things and wanting to touch things and have things be more analog. I think, like, as humans, like, we're made... To, to, to create, like to make things with our hands. Like that's, I th- we, I think we understand the world like that, you know, like we don't understand the world by like sitting at computers or scrolling on our phones. Like mm-hmm. that is not enlightening at all. It doesn't uh, give us a more profound understanding about really anything. I mean, it, maybe we might read something interesting, but I, uh, it's usually about people who made something tactile. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that, I think that like people have, I don't know that we've evolved that way. I think in a way we've evolved making things or doing things less with our hands. Maybe that's, maybe that's part of, part of where the mental health crisis comes into play. I don't know. I, um, I think we have to make things. It's an impulse. And like whether that's painting for some people or music for other people. And like you said, like not everyone is necessarily making art like with a capital A. But like I think fundamentally we all want to make things. We're not we're not made to just sit back and consume stuff all the time. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that really answers your question, but it does for you. Art with a capital A, not not apply because I, I get the sense that you're not the type of person that tries to apply your own judgments to all people and I try not to <laughs> and, and that's fair for you what is your how do you understand your criteria for what makes a piece what what you would say stamps it as like this for me when in my creation this is how this is art for me I try not to use the word I 
you know, just like I would never like some people throw around the, the term like master or masterpiece. I'm like, I don't even under that doesn't even make any sense. Mm-hmm. You know, like I don't I avoid using the, the only reason I use the word art having to do with my work is because I have to write about it. Mm. For for people who are not necessarily artists, otherwise, like I'm just making things. Yeah. On a fundamental level, I'm making paintings. I'm making drawings. Like they are what they are, but I have to talk about them, and in some ways, even you know, market them when I'm selling the work. And so, I have to talk about things in the context of making art as well. But I don't feel like that really that that's not helpful for me as an artist. Like I love that yeah. answer actually. <laughs> yeah, because really, it it is. It's a silly, it's kind of a silly thing in yeah. some ways. Yeah, uh, it's like making it bigger than it needs to be, mm-hmm. you know? And I definitely, yeah, I just, this is just what I do. Yeah. <laughs> definitely that, well, like, definitely the distinction of, like, trying to think of how that would apply. Like, uh, like oh, like, oh, this is a piece of music that is art, but this one is not art. Like, that process to try to differentiate those two things from each other does seem a little uh ego driven and sort of like highbrow and totally. sort of like you know yeah I've never been one to to say you know that there's some kind of difference between Lady Gaga or Johnny Cash or like Yellow Card or whatever like these totally different types of artists and and say that some of them are art and some of them aren't because clearly they're they're doing they're making the same things just with very different purposes or expressions or individuals behind them. There's enough of that going on too. Like there's already gatekeepers in the art world. There's already plenty of people declaring, you know, what is art and what isn't yeah. and what's important and what's worth putting in a museum and what's worth putting in a gallery and what's mm-hmm. not and I think that already is is not helpful. Like it's not helpful for for pre- propelling art forward because it just creates divisions and I think already in the art world like it's perceived as as being highbrow and being elitist yeah and I cannot stand that you know like I truly believe that art is for everyone I I have I do have to price my work at a certain price point because I have to make a living you know and I've I'm a professional artist and so my work does have to be priced a certain way and I understand that it prices out certain people but I also you know, that's why I've been trying to get more into public art, because that's a way for me to make art then for everyone, uh, which I do believe in. So, yeah, that's something I think about a lot. Well, so this might be a slightly improved way to ask a similar question, which is in your in your uh, exploration of vision or whatever, uh, what are are there? Are there northern lights? Are there are there things that are a part of your criteria that you always are striving for? Are there anything that is a constant within your creative process? Or is it because of the nature of art and the way that it changes? Are there no constants? Like, is it, is it always something new that you're exploring? I think one constant on like a very formal level is, you know, when I'm judging my work, when I'm working on it and trying to figure out, like, is this done? Or is this working or not? It's like, yeah, is it working visually? Is this compelling to look at? Is it is it boring? Like, is anyone going to want to look at this but me? And like, what what what, what might they what what is this going to elicit from people? And so that comes. That's when I use my experience, you know, to think about like, does this color belong here? Does it not? Is this does this 
composition, you know, like, is it working or not? So I think that's, that's the, the real kind of constant. Mm. Like, is it, is it working? Is it successful or not? But then the actual content will vary, you know, depending on the project. And I then, like that. Yeah. And then different projects have other criteria depending on what I'm trying to do. For sure. Yeah. I like that idea. I, I actually had, I've never asked that question that way to anybody. And I like that idea of constants and I might explore that a little more because that, that seems to be the thing. And when I, as, as we're, as we're talking, like I was, um, it's kind of like bounce while your, while your answer was like kind of bouncing my head around, I was like, huh, is that, is that like how it applies? Is that how I would answer that or something? And I think it's kind of the same way with my band or whatever. Like we, there are certain little things that we might practice to make it content, like reliably entertaining for right. a piece of music. But there's there's always the chance that that could just go totally out the window, depending on what. For, it depends on how it lands on the audience, for sure. But I think that's where experience comes into. Maybe it's like music theory for you, or just knowing that certain chords or chord combinations or whatever like have a certain effect. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's it's the same with visual arts, like certain things visually work and some don't like some and sometimes it's knowing when to use the things that don't work like can you use them to your advantage I think that's what's interesting about teaching I love teaching because it's it's teaching that very thing you mm-hmm. know to so yeah it's a good way to think about rules within the arts you yeah know? like uh, that that's something that obviously every new generation of artists wants to push against is like rules and traditions but uh, just just a relationship with reliable, reliable tactics, <laughs> reliable Absolutely. practices. That's why. Yeah. The people who say, oh, I don't want to go to school because I don't want to or I don't like I don't I don't know the people who don't want to be like don't want to lose their natural t- whatever. I've heard all sorts of different things over the years. But I think like knowing rules, knowing technique is like very powerful because then when you want to throw it all the win- out the window, not that I'm saying you need to justify things, but like, you know why. And mm-hmm. then you, you know, like it's just, it grounds the work and you know how, yeah. Like, 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 you know what you're throwing out the window, Yes, which is very different than just throwing everything out the window. Right. Like if you're throwing one technique, that's so much more defined, you know, yeah. and that, that keeps, a lot of what you want to keep in the in the context of your material, or that keeps everything else in there and only discards that one thing, right? Which is, uh, you know, it gives you a lot to work with. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 range, really, mm-hmm. and it's and it ties into being purposeful. Yeah, you know. Any uh, okay? Last question. Because you mentioned being, you know, your purposeful nature again. Um, for somebody who maybe lacks some of that purposeful intention that ability to be purposeful. Maybe they're just more scattershot and just like don't have like what would what would be your um what would be your starting point for kind of guiding somebody toward practicing that stuff, practicing more intent within the arts. Wow. Um well, at the same time I don't want to say that the way I am is the way to be. Like sure. that's not fair. I think that some people are scattershot and it works for them. Mm-hmm. Um I think the, the, what matters is figuring out if what you're doing is working or not, you know, like if, if the way that you live your life and you make your work is working for you, like you're content, you're able to do what you need to like, you know, I don't know, pay your bills, 
and or you know feed yourself and make your work and make and grow in your work then like that's what really what matters I think me being purposeful works for me but I don't think it's necessarily the way for everyone and I don't want to say that it is sure maybe that's a (laughs) cop-out answer (laughs) no it's fine because you're right and that's what what happened what's interesting about the arts is that it captures everybody's person you know like you can be you can honestly be however you are in the arts and be expressed you know and your purposefulness is unique to you uh and so you know obviously i don't mean to suggest that everybody should inhabit it or try to inhabit it the same way or embody it the same way um but you know like like what i think is so cool about what you've described as yourself is just uh again like the way that you've managed to kind of get some of the obstacles out of the way. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I know plenty of artists that suffer with the opposite affliction and I, and I would like, uh, I would encourage them if, if they, even if they didn't mold their whole person by, you know, something like the intent, the, the purpose behind like whatever drives you, uh, I think experimenting with it could be fun. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's experimenting, you know, like yeah. this is right now what works for me right now. And next year it might not, and I might have to ch- change things around. And yeah, but as far as like, if, if you wanted to be more purposeful and, and weren't, I think maybe just th- thinking more through, you know, as, as you make your decisions during the day, maybe taking a step back and, and asking yourself, you know, why, like, does this fit in with what you want to do? Does this make sense? Or are you just doing it because it was easier mm. or because you have been, you know, like I think sometimes we, we fall into patterns and don't think about why we're doing these things, but they're not serving us. Yeah. So I think that's maybe, maybe that would be the first step. <laughs> I like that. I just got Rick Rubin's new book. And did uh, you, I just heard that interview on the rich roll podcast, rich roll. Yeah, Rich Roll did a podcast with Rick Rubin Man, just last week. He's doing all or, of the podcasts. Yeah. It is wild. Well, because the book on, just came out. Yeah, I mean, he's on. I, I can't. There's not a podcast I'm aware of that he hasn't been on. But um, he, I heard him on. I think it was on uh, the Huberman Lab podcast on the Huberman Lab interview, and he he said something in there that was like he was kind of exactly what we were just doing, like kind of hinting at certain practices that at least he would endorse. And he said something like just because he said a trap that some artists will fall into is kind of this repetitive approach or whatever, like they have their process and they stick to it. And he was like, just because in a process worked for a project doesn't mean that it's the only process that works or that it will work for every project. And I, appreciated hearing that quite a lot because I, I, I just, I, I, I don't like, I, I like, I don't want to sound like a judgmental person. I'm probably a lot more judgmental than you when it comes down to it. Uh, I, I probably talk more shit about some things, uh, some practices, and I don't like when I sense the stagnation within the sure. art. And maybe for some people it is more of a reliable, like, you know, thing to lean on. But I think, I think art is all about, exploring territories, you know, and kind of trying things out and working on them instead of it just being like, Oh, this is what I do. And so that's, that's just how it is all the time. I I just, there's something about that, that I'm like, that seems in my brain so counter to what it means to be like trying to make, you you know, make some work 
But of course, that's just it's just different for it's everyone. It's a reflection of me more so than it is of an actual judgment. I think some people are okay with doing the same. You know, I've yeah. I've done things where I was doing the same thing over and over again for yeah. a long time, and I think for some people, like they they need that, like whether it's comfort or just knowing, feeling like it's really powerful to feel like you know what you're doing. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and I think it's just different for everyone. It is, and like, and I I I express that in other parts, parts of my life, you know, like with the, th- the movies I might watch or the, the, the routine of my life, you know, I think routine is really good. Yeah. Um, yeah, for, for me, it's just, it, and the only reason it comes across judgmentally is, is my own, whatever, my own judgmental expressions of my language. But, um, but yeah, you know, it's just that's more so a reflection of my personal relationship with art than it is an actual judgment of other artists, you know. That's just how that shit goes. I think it's okay though. It helps define things for you. Yeah. Like I think sometimes saying like I don't want this is helpful to help you figure out what you do want. <laughs> yeah. There's this like this sense that we have of Hemingway that's this like arrogant like I am the best of all and kind of thing. <laughs> And sometimes I like try to feed that part of my artistic thing. It's like, it's sort of like, I don't actually give a fuck if, if other people do things different or whatever, it's fine. I'm not offended, but there's this part of me that has to like, sometimes for the creative sake has to be like, this is the superior road or something. Sure. I think whatever works, honestly, like you can do whatever you want when you're in the studio, like whatever gets you making your work, you know, exactly. like it doesn't matter. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> that can be part of your routine. There's like I, I like the idea of like an on ramp to go into your work. Like you know maybe it's like getting having coffee, uh, washing your face, whatever. Like reading for five minutes and then easing into your work. Maybe part of your on ramp is like amping yourself up. Yeah, <laughs> doing a power pose. <laughs> yeah, challenging him and way to a fist fight. Yeah, something. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Jessica, thank you for your time. Thank you. This has been really, really nice. It's, it has been yeah. really nice. I've like thoroughly enjoyed hearing your thoughts about all this stuff. And thank you for just like following me down all these rabbit trails. And oh, I appreciate being given the chance to think about this stuff and, and to try to put it into words. Yeah, it, it, it was. It is very cool to hear because um, I, I don't I've had a few visual artists on, but, um, you know, they're fewer and far farther between than musicians and stuff. And it was great to just like hear you like talk through stuff. So. Uh, thank you for your time and like let's do it again sometime if you like. Absolutely. I would love to do a part two. Awesome. We'll do it. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm.